Hey, you're listening to the Burnt Out Entrepreneur Podcast, where you'll learn why you're feeling so burnt out, some insights and hacks to get you along this entrepreneurial journey. I'm Kylie Yotel, former oil and gas manager, turned health coach, life coach, and business mentor for female entrepreneurs just like you and help them heal and recover from burnout. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Burnt Out Entrepreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Kylie Ota, and today I am so excited to introduce you to Chris Clues. Okay, so <laughs> he's the first male I've had on my podcast. So oh, really? okay. yeah, I just realized that. I feel honored. <laughs> welcome to the show. Anyway, he is not your ordinary keynote speaker and author because... And this is why I was so attracted to him in the podcasting group that we're in together. He he talks about 80s references. So if you don't know, I, I was born in 1978. So I grew up in the 80s and 90s. And just how he talks about 80s pop culture and how he relates it to the workplace. I was I got to have you on the show. And anyway, he has a three book series called the ultimate series on essential life and work lessons from 80s pop culture. Duh. And, you know, he's spoken to diverse organizations and he has had a dramatic impact on the business landscape. So, oh my gosh, Chris, welcome to the show. Thanks, Kylie. Again, like, I'm honored. I didn't know I'm the first, uh, the first male guest. So that's awesome. And we're going to have a lot of fun today. We are just if you're an 80s baby or 90s baby, this is going to be so fun for you. And if you're not, you know, I'm sure you have a parent or a grandparent, cough, cough, who's probably introduced you to some of the 80s pop culture. And we were talking about on the pre-interview that 80s pop culture has just kind of taken over the landscape, you know, Star Wars, a lot of that stuff is coming back, you know, and um, I know we're going to get more into that but before we tap into that 80s pop culture goodness, um, just tell us a little bit about your history, your work history, burnout and whatever. Um, you were a corporate marketing executive of all things. And then yeah. you switched from that into becoming a keynote speaker and author. So tell us about your experience and um, how you made that transition. Yeah. So again, I appreciate you having me on. I, I do say, I do want to say that it's independent podcasters like you that give people like me a voice. And I really appreciate that because I just come on and do my thing. And I know all the work is on your end. So I, I truly, truly appreciate the opportunity. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so, so yeah. So how did I do this? I mean, I, I was in corporate marketing for 20 plus years and I still love marketing. It's still a huge yeah. part of who I am. Yeah. But at one point I was in a job that wasn't working out for me. And I, I think we've all kind of been there. And I was thinking, you know, what is it that I want to do? And who do I want to be? I was 46 years old and I was still trying to figure this thing out. So I was having a self-pity party of one uh, on my couch, as I tend to do. <laughs> and The Breakfast Club came on and, uh, you know, classic movie. And I'd seen it a hundred times and, you know, I knew every line, but I, I, there was this one line that I'd never, I'd heard it, but I never really listened to it. And it's by Bender, the criminal. And he says, screws fall out all the time. The world's an imperfect place. And I kind of sat up and I said, my screws have fallen out. I'm in an imperfect place. What am I going to do to fix it? Am I just going to keep going with like, you know, put these same screws back in and keep going down this path as Henry David Thoreau said, not an 80s pop culture icon, more than 1840s. Uh, he said, the mass of men today, we'll call that the mass of people. The mass of people lead lives of quiet desperation. 
And he was recognizing that in the 1840s before the Industrial Revolution, before people were working in factories, before they were in cubicles. Um, So, and I was, I'm living this life of quiet desperation. What am I going to do? Am I going to break out of this? And so I decided to get a whole new set of screws and a whole new door and a whole new door frame and walk out to this entirely new journey, which is what I'm doing now. And there was another character from The Outsiders, Johnny Cade played by Ralph Macchio. For those of you that haven't seen The Outsiders, maybe you've seen Ralph Macchio in something small called The Karate Kid. And maybe you see him in Cobra Kai now. If you're younger, you're like, oh yeah, he's Daniel from Cobra Kai. Uh, So he said, uh, you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. And uh, that meant so much to me that I have it here on my arm. Um, So it was a really important quote for me that I was 46 years old. I wasn't a young entrepreneur, wasn't old. But I still had a lot of time to make myself be what I want. And so I put those two together and I thought, maybe there's something here with lessons from 80s pop culture. And I wrote an article on what the Breakfast Club teaches us about problem solving, this whole idea of screws falling out. And uh, and I went from there. And I now I have, you know, I'm sitting in front of you with three books. I'm a keynote speaker, as you said, to big organizations like DHL, Visa, University of Florida, UPenn Medicine. And uh, I couldn't be more happy uh, with my life. And um, it was all because I just, had this epiphany. And then I decided that I was going to take that leap. And as you and I talked about, there was some burnout that happened during that transition. Yeah. Yeah. I know you, we were also talking about this perception of stability that, you know, I think when we grew up, it was, you, you go to, you know, you graduate, go to college, get a degree, get a job, and then you stay in that job get your pension and you're out, you know, and in this day and age, especially with what happened in 2020, nothing's guaranteed, Mm -hmm. nothing's guaranteed. And I mean, I left in 2018 before I knew any of this was going to happen. And it's like, we talked about it's relative stability. If you're in a job, is it stable or not? Like as an entrepreneur, there's a lot of ups and downs that we go through. It's like, hmm, no. And how do that, that perceive perceived stability of the corporate world when you, you know, listen, there's a lot of perks to being in the corporate world, um, but there's also a lot of traps. And one of those yes. is that you can get very comfortable and then suddenly you walk in on a Friday and they say, thanks a lot. We appreciate the last eight years, but, you know, we got to cut 5% of the workforce. That's that yes. perceived stability. So when you're an entrepreneur and people say, how can you take that risk? And it's so scary. I'm like, it's only scary because you wake up every day knowing that you're the one that has to create this thing. Um, but if you thought about the idea that at any on any Friday, you could walk in and they could say, that's it. Corporate world's kind of scary as well. So, you know, then you have to make that decision. Do I want to do this for me or somebody else? And um, that's ultimately where that decision comes from, I think. Yeah, we experienced the same thing. My husband and I we worked for the same oil and gas company and they closed our plant and Next thing you know, we got sold. And I said, you know what? I looked at him. I said, we both can't be on this sinking ship. I yeah. mean, especially with, you know, everybody going green and, you know, environmentally conscious. Like, well, we don't know how long this industry is going to be stable either. You know, it's industrial revolution. You talked about it's been stable for a long time, but who knows when, yeah. you know, laws are going to change and clean energy is going to take over. And next thing you know, oh, because it literally happened that quickly. All right, I'm from Hawaii. So we had a plant in Hawaii and um, his brother ended up staying with the company and it's everybody got scattered because we got sold and eventually um, 
the competitor bought us out. Like through the grapevine and closed doors, we found out that their intention was to actually cut out the competition and shut us down. And so a lot of those workers got displaced. And, you know, you you don't go into the oil and gas industry for the fun of it. There's no fun. It's it's greasy, dirty, messy, whatever, yeah. you know. And it's, it was more about the stability of the, you know, the industry. And now it's like there, there really is no stability in whatever industry even it was a stable industry now you got ai coming in and trying to you know like people are scared that they're going to lose their jobs because ai is this untapped you know category that everyone's oh i'm scared i'm gonna lose my job to an ai it's like well i mean oh you know we're in a new revolution the industrial revolution with, with the agriculture industrial is this the ai revolution i don't know you know, <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, you know, it's definitely, there's a lot of moving parts out there right now for everybody. And, uh, but I do tell like, if you're going to take that entrepreneurial route, um, that you need to be prepared to, as one of my buddies told me is you gotta, I mean, caveman it, cave woman it in terms of what I mean by that is you gotta be ready to say for a while, like I, I there are things I need, there are things I want. And you've, when you have that corporate job, a lot of, you can have the wants and the needs. When you decide to become an entrepreneur, you got to focus on the needs. The wants got to be put aside for a little while while you, you know, navigate this new life and try to build something that people care about and that they care about it enough that they want to pay you for it. And so that takes time. And that burnout that you talk about on your podcast, you know, there was an 18 month window where I was doing that proverbial, you know, burning the candle at both ends. I had a full-time job, with a big company as a, you know, at a marketing executive level where I was traveling quite a bit and I was trying to build this thing. And so I was doing that at 11 night to three in the morning then getting up at six 37, starting my day job all over again. When I was on planes, I was doing this stuff. I was doing everything I could. And it took about 18 months, but it was, it was pretty brutal. I mean, I'm, I couldn't be happier now, but you, you know, it's not something where you just say, I'm going to leave my job and I'm going to have this product or this service and everybody's going to want to buy it tomorrow. Right. You know, I mean, I guess that could happen, but uh, most likely that's not going to be the process. That's why when they they had they talked about the great resignation a couple of years ago, yeah. I feel like we're getting the great return now mm. to people going back and saying that was not what I thought when I left. I thought I was just going to walk into this entrepreneurial world and everybody was going to buy what I was selling. And the reality is that's not the case. And so for a lot of people that, that, that perceived stability that we talked about, and that's perfectly fine. We're all built differently, but I do think that there's going to be, there is a great return happening. uh, I think you talked about that because yes, I do see it in some of my masterminds and entrepreneurial circles. People are like, Hey, I got to get a job. You know, it's tough. Yeah, it's tough. But yeah, I did the same thing. Burning the candle at both ends like getting my coaching certification was a whole annual you know it wasn't one of these six-week deals it was a whole annual certification it's like you know working on things when you know we had some downtime on the job but you know (laughs) you gotta do what you gotta do and I think that's what makes entrepreneur entrepreneur us you know the people who are resourceful and you know, that, that, I think that's part of what it takes. You know, when you're thinking, am I qualified to do this? Well, you know, do I have the tenacity? Do I have that? And when we're talking about burnout, I have these four different archetypes and there is the powerhouse archetype who is that person that would just 
burn the midnight oil and we'll you, right? Like 11 to 3, but you still have to wake up at 6. Yeah. Well, you know, there, that would be, I would consider a powerhouse move. And there are other people who, um, you just do entrepreneurship differently, but those people are the ones that have the tendency to burn out because, you know, we're so used to, to burning the candle at both ends, going after what we want and making things happen that sometimes it's like, oh. you know, when we get to a certain point, it's like, well, I'm done, you know, work hard, but you also have to learn how to play hard. So I don't know. For those of you who are listening, hey, I thought this was about burnout, not about like burning the candle at both ends. There is a time and a place to have your rest and uh, there's season, right? That 18 months you went hard, but now, you know, not your full-time in entrepreneurship, you know, we're reaping the benefits of, of the hard work during that, yeah. that push season. And I have two, you, you, when you were just talking there, there's two, two lessons I actually have from 80s pop culture that kind of tie back to what you were just talking about. Um, the first is you were, you know, you were throwing out a lot of questions there about yourself that we do like, you know, am I ready for this? Am I good enough? Are people going to care? All of these things. And so there's a movie called trading places, which is not one that it's a great movie, but when, when people say, Oh, you know, what eighties pop culture, they think the Goonies, ET Raiders of lost Ark, you know, these, these, these kind of classic epic movies from the eighties trading places, Eddie Murphy and Dan Aykroyd and Jamie Lee Curtis. If I say those three names, that should be enough for you to at least check it out. If you haven't seen it, it's a fantastic comedy. Uh, with a really good social bent, social kind of um, issues bent to it as well. And society it takes an interesting look at society as well. And so there is a moment though, where we have Eddie Murphy's character, Billy Ray Valentine. And we see him at the beginning. He's like this, this incredibly bright guy um, who uses it to do cons on the street and stuff. And, and then you have Dan Aykroyd's character, Louis Winthorpe, the third, who's kind of born into this, like privileged opportunity where he becomes this um, commodities broker. And the two guys that run the firm are these knuckleheads who think they have to do different bets with each other. They're going to bet a dollar if they basically took Lewis and put him on the street and they brought Billy Ray Valentine in, somebody, you know, from the street, brought them in and said, you know, what would happen if they traded places? That's the And so we see Billy Ray Valentine begin the movie. We see he's an incredibly bright guy, but he just hasn't been given the opportunity. So now this, here's this opportunity that's been given to him. And we know he can do this job. We know he can do it, but he's not so sure. So the first day of the job, he gets pulled up. He pulls up in the Rolls Royce. The butler Coleman lets him out of the car. He's got this nice suit on and he's looking up at this building, this huge brokerage building. And he says to Coleman, what if I can't do this job? What if I'm not what they expected? Mm-hmm. And Coleman says, just be yourself, sir. Can't take that away from you. Now, if that was just the only thing, just be yourself. That's a great lesson in and of itself, but there's something deeper here. And it's that Confident people question themselves, arrogant people question others. And, you know, I talk about this a lot and you were talking about all those questions that run through your head as an entrepreneur that people, I think people think when you're confident, you don't question yourself. Nonsense. Confident people are constantly questioning themselves. That's how you get better. Because at some point, if you decide there's no more questions to ask about what I do or about myself, then what are you going to do? You're going to start pointing fingers. You're going to start blaming other people if something goes wrong. Right. And that's where the arrogance comes in. It couldn't possibly be my fault. And so, or this couldn't possibly be happening because of something that I did. What? 
So that's where the arrogance comes in. Confident people constantly, when I get up on stage or I'm about to get on stage, there are a lot of questions going through my head. Am I going to be good enough? Are they going to me? Are they going to feel what they paid me? They got every single penny's worth. Are they going to laugh when I want them to laugh? Are they going to retain what I want them to retain? All these questions every single time. But once I get up on stage, it all goes away. Okay. It's me now. It's up to me. I need to do this. And so there's a really important lesson there that Billy Ray Valentine, Eddie Murphy's character, taught us from, from Trading Places. I love it. And what came to me was like pride comes before the fall. When we, that confidence yeah. versus arrogance. Okay, I'm confident. And there's some talk about imposter syndrome. Truly confident people actually have imposter syndrome because they think that they're not supposed to be there, but they actually are very good at their job. But he's like questioning themselves all the time. Not to a point of like self-doubt and, you know, shrinking back, but that complicate, what am I doing? What can I do to keep going on this trajectory, blah, 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 as opposed to the, the arrogant people, he said, blaming others. I've worked with CEOs and think, oh my gosh, like those are the worst. Those are the worst. <laughs> They're like, okay, who whose fault is it? Let, let me point a finger at someone. And those are the worst. Those are the worst because you just develop such a bad morale within the company. Mm-hmm. If everyone's trying to point fingers at everybody else and nobody wants to be the fall guy. But like you said, if you have a CEO who is self-reflective, is truly confident, has an inner confidence in themselves, they actually instill that confidence into their employees, into their constituents, whoever they're working with, into their audience even. So you feel that it emanates from you. And people are smart, right? Even though they may not say they're empathetic or whatever. We we can feel it from other people if they're true and genuine if, and if they're not. And they're, yeah, so, oh my gosh, I love that. Yeah, that's, you know, you bring up, you know, leadership and, you know, I have a lot of leadership lessons, but one of them uh, involves one of my favorite musicians. Uh, I'll give you a little hint. And if you can't get it from this, I'm not sure what to tell anybody out there, but he loved the color purple. Oh, Yes. Right. I mean, Prince, yeah. he, he, he was, he's our Mozart there. A Prince comes along once every couple of centuries. There's yeah. just, I mean, if you think about everything that he touched and if you just Google Prince and you're not sure, because you just know him as the kind of the music, the great musician, go look at everything he touched in music, the stuff that he wrote, that he composed orchestras that he played, I think 50 instruments. The guy yeah. was a genius. Yeah. And, um, and you know, we lost him too soon, but in the yes. time that we had him in 1987, he was already the king of music. I, I tell people, look, take 30 minutes and write down all of the people that, you know, that were, that were known by one name around the world. And that's a small group of people and Prince was in it. So, you know, you, you say Prince and everybody's like, oh, Prince. yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, he was so good. He didn't need a name after After a while. He just was a symbol. Right. So, uh, so here he is in 1987. He's already, you know, won Grammys. He's been nominated for Academy Awards. He wrote and directed and starred in a movie, Purple Rain. He's done all of these things. And Suzanne Vega was an alt singer who I really loved. Um, she had a song on the Pretty in Pink soundtrack. Um, and it's going to slip my mind now uh but she was you know she was an alt singer and not prince in 1987 and so then she comes out with a song called uh, oh, left of center was a song in a pretty and pink soundtrack and then she came out with a song called my name is luca yes and uh i live on the second floor very serious song about child endangerment child abuse and prince heard this song and he was so moved by it 
that he actually penned a handwritten note to her. And you can Google Prince and Suzanne Vega handwritten note and you can get it, you know, if you Google it. And it said, dearest Suzanne, Luke is the most compelling piece of music, music I've heard in a long time. There are no words to tell you all the things I feel when I hear it. I thank God for you, Prince. Wow. Awesome. And his handwriting is wow. as magical as you would think it would be. When you Google it, you'll see it. Um, it's like a little dove's insignia. He's like, I yeah, you can see Prince in it so much of this handwriting. So he gets this handwritten note. Now, remember, it's 1987. There's no digital means to get this to her. It had to be mailed to her, hand-delivered. There had to be an extra step taken to get it to her. Now, how do we know about it? In 2016, when Prince passed away, Suzanne Vega put it on her social media to let everybody know the kind of guy that he was behind the scenes. And what did Prince teach us with this handwritten note? Three things, and I'm going to get to your leadership right now. Leaders share the stage of success. Rulers keep everybody below it. They keep everybody below the stage. Leaders share the stage. They recognize greatness. They point out greatness and they let people know. And that's what he's doing. Hey, greatness, I see you doing great things. There's room on this stage for you as well. Leaders share the stage. They're not afraid to do that. They recognize that there are people that are going to come along. Their time is going to come where it's, hey, it's time to pass that proverbial torch. And they recognize greatness and they let them know. Two, encouragement doesn't cost a thing. So that handwritten note, do you think that encouraged her just a little bit? I, I mean, I, I challenge people. I say, if you have a passion or a hobby or an interest or your career, and the person who does it the best, who's the best at it in the world, sent you a handwritten note and said, I saw what you did. It's great. Do you think that would encourage you just a little bit? That, so encouragement oh, yeah. doesn't cost a thing. We can all encourage somebody today. Yeah. And that the handwritten note is a lost art. You know, we can email somebody and say, you know, uh, praise them through email. And that's great. But that handwritten note, that extra time, your heart and soul, and you'll see this in Prince's handwritten note, your heart and soul are in that handwritten note. And and people appreciate that. So three things he taught us. First. Gosh, I love that. So there are two leaders that I was thinking about in the entrepreneurial space. So there's this guy named Todd Herman. He teaches a lot about productivity. Mm-hmm. He writes, a, he has an old ink pen, you know, with, in a in a box with um you know some cards and whatever he writes a handwritten note to someone every single day and that's part of his you know productivity steps that he does you know everyone has a morning routine right all of these yeah. entrepreneurs have a morning yeah, yeah. so that's part of his morning routine and then um someone else that um Gary V Gary yeah. V's all about encouraging people like on his social media feed. You see so many people just walk up to him and say, dude, I watched your stuff and whatever. And then they get featured on his social media. And he, all he's doing is giving people encouraging words, but it does so much for the person who's been following him and just been yep. gleaning from him. And just to have Gary V say, you're on the right path. You're doing good. I'm like, oh, <laughs> it's so good, right? Yeah, I mean, it's a huge, it it makes a huge difference, just that, that handwritten note, but even just the encouragement alone, recognizing that, you know, there are, there is room on that stage once you get that stage for other people as well. I love that, you know, and I think that's what I like best about leadership when I was in in the corporate space and even now leading my own team, it's like, I like sharing the stage. I'm like this, yeah, it looks like it's a, you know, an army of one. But I know I have people behind the scenes, you know, that help me, that make me a better person. And I tell, you know, I tell my team, like, without you, this podcast wouldn't be, (laughs) wouldn't be done. They they do the post-production, they do the social media. I'm like, 
here's what I want, you know, but that's the part about delegation. When we have that good rapport with our team, it makes delegation so much easier mm -hmm. because I've, um, I have one person on my team that I've tried to outsource to some, like some of my friends in entrepreneurship. It didn't really work out that well. And I was like, why did it not work out that well? Like, oh, I realized that um, in corporate, I had learned that building rapport was such a good morale builder. I had carried that into entrepreneurship. And I was like, oh, so that's why it's been working out for us. And she's been a long time on my team. And she puts out good work. Like the days that I'm like, I'll voxer her. I'm like, dude, I'm. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to get it done. Can you just step in? I'll just, you know, leave her a voicemail and then she'll, she'll do the stuff that I was supposed to have done. Like, you know, like that's the kind of rapport that I built with her. And it's, it feels so good to have someone that has your back, but it's yeah. also because I have her back when she, you know, when she has a down day, she's like, Hey, I didn't get to it. I'm not all over. Hey. Well, blah, blah, blah. This is what I pay you for. It's like, oh, like we're all human, having yeah. a human experience. So, yeah, anyway, I, I loved all of those things that you shared. So good. Yeah, I mean, that's, you know, that ties back to the health and wellness thing with leaders as well. And so we talk about the Karate Kid and uh, Mr. Miyagi. And of course, you know, listen, for me, like one of the greatest cinematic characters of all time for so many reasons. Uh, you know, it's hard. You think about certain roles, great roles in movies, but you, you don't often think about somebody is that person. And there was nobody else who could have ever played him. And it just does work, right? So he is Mr. Miyagi. And so um, I talk about the, the relationship between he and Daniel. Um, so yeah, the Karate Kid, every, you know, lesson that comes out of um, Pat Morita's mouth as Mr. Miyagi, uh, is a lesson and it's pretty awesome. And so we all know the kind of wax on wax off, but there was something else he said in that scene. He said, don't forget to breathe. Very important. And mm -hmm. so I think about this and, you know, involuntarily, thankfully you don't need to think about it about 17,000 to 30,000 times a day. You're going to breathe. Yeah. Your body does it. Um, you don't have to think about it. If you did, yeah. I'd be in trouble. I can tell that right now. My brain is not why I think like that. So thankfully you don't, but when we think about breathing in, in a different context, I, I think about, the idea of breathing, what does breathing mean to you? And you were talking about how we have our down days. Sometimes we're just not feeling it. And so I say to people, you know, who, who has had, have you ever had a case of dehydration? Mm -hmm. Okay. So, you know, you know what dehydration, right? you know, you know how it feels. It's awful. And it takes days mentally and physically to unwind from it. And so I say that stress is dehydration. By the time we realize we have it, it's too late. Oh, and so dehydration is the same way. I've had it too. And there were all these things I could look back during that day that I could have done to avoid the dehydration, but I didn't. And then all of a sudden it hit me out of nowhere, physically and mentally. I was, I mean, physically, I thought I was dying. It was crazy. It was really scary actually. And stress because we carried around so much. I don't think we realize how much we're carrying with us until all of a sudden it shows itself in whatever form it does for everybody's different in how stress shows. But stress is like dehydration. By the time we realize you have it, it's too late. So this idea of don't forget to breathe, whatever that is. Breathing could be playing with your dog, your cat, your kid, taking a walk, having a cup of tea, yoga, whatever that thing is. But it's more important that leaders out there, that your team members know that they have time to breathe. And sometimes that's not going to come at the best time. Sometimes it's going to be 30 minutes before a meeting where they're like, I'm feeling it. I got to take a step back. You have to give them that flexibility and leaders you have to breathe as well, because we talk about how 
you know, sh- um, shit rolls downhill. Well, stress rolls downhill as well. And when stress rolls downhill, it's a lot worse. It takes everybody with it. It makes people unproductive. They get, you know, they're walking on eggshells as we talk about around you because you're stressed out. And the team members, when you give them that time to breathe, oftentimes just knowing that they have it, they'll probably do less of it and they'll be more productive because they know if they, if they really need it, they can take it. And I think that's, that's the really thing. the key. Just letting people know that that door is open to breathe. And uh, when we do that, and when leaders, when leaders take a breath as well, then we're all more productive, we're happier, and we have a better environment for everybody. I love that. Uh, See, this is why you're meant to be on my show. (laughs) And oh my gosh, and you're talking about dog. I just got a puppy recently. Oh, added stress. Well, she, I I say recently, she's going to be a year old in a couple of weeks, but you know, she's still in her puppy phase. And, you know, I was, um, it was kind of a COVID puppy. We had my daughter move back in with us and she had a dog and then she found a place. She graduated from college and she moved out. I was like, Oh, I need a puppy. And so we went looking for a puppy. We got this one. I'm like, whoever said that taking care of a puppy is easier than a baby. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. It's not because I was telling my friend, yeah. you can put a baby in a diaper. You can put a baby in a carrier. You can take your baby to the grocery store. No, I have a corgi. And anyway, she <laughs> she found a way to push her cage anytime we were out of the house. So she's not crate trained. She just has free reign of the house now because it's, let me just go with your personality type. You want to be free. You don't want to be in a cage. Fine. But let me teach you the parameters of being out of the cage. So anyway, um. Why am I bringing up dogs is because Chris and I were talking about dogs and one of his passions is, you know, he, he loves dogs. So just Chris, tell us more about the the dogs and your rescue and Brody and like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, So I'm a big animal rescue advocate. Um, And so it's kind of ingrained in me, my, my great, all the way going back to my grandmother who was doing advocacy for animal rescue in the forties and fifties before it was even a thing, I think I uh, wasn't around then, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't really the thing that it is today. Um, so, you know, it's kind of just been passed down to my sister and I, and um, you mentioned my, my boy Bodie, who is named after uh, Patrick Swayze's character in the movie. That's Point Break. Right. A huge Patrick Swayze fan, as you can tell by the yes. house shirt. Uh, so there is a lesson from an 80s movie, of course, about that ties back to this. I'll share the story here. Dead Poet Society, um, really great movie, 1989. Robin Williams plays John Keating, a teacher in a very exclusive um, boys boarding school, private school, where these boys are taught from a very young age, you're going to be whoever the family wants you to be. Your dad's an attorney, a doctor, whatever. That's what you're going to be. There is no strain from this path. And God forbid you want to go into the creative arts. No way. So of course, John Keating, as the, as the te- new teacher there, he teaches the boys through poetry. And he says, you know, nonsense, you can be whoever you want to be. And he encourages them to also be creative as well, if they choose, choose that path. And we all know that kind of carpe diem sees the day, but there's something deeper, he says. And I always look for the different quotes, the ones that don't jump out of people. And the one that he tells them is no matter what anybody tells you, words and ideas can change the world. And so I thought about this. I'm like, you know, in the palm of our hand, we have this great equalizer. Now this phone that we have that allows us to reach the world with our words and our ideas. We don't have to be an an athlete, a politician, a world leader, a celebrity, 
a journalist, any of these things to get our words and ideas out to the world. You can do it now in this moment. You can send something out across social media and get your words and ideas out to the world. And that's kind of talking the talk. And that's great. But you also got to walk the walk. What's important to you? What are you going to, what action are you going to take? And for me with the animal rescue, I tell the story of Bodie. He was um, three months old on the street, dead, found by a couple of cops in Miami. He was, he, he couldn't walk. He couldn't go to the bathroom. He had bugs all over him. He was dying. Wow. And he was scooped up and taken to this rescue that I follow called Wonder Paul's Rescue and took a month for him to learn how to walk another couple of months of him getting to a point. And I saw these pictures of him and I knew right away we were connected. I knew this was my guy and uh, I got him in August of 2020 and he's been with me almost August 6th will be his third gotcha death, third, you know, third year of gotcha days. So three years since I've had him, he'll be three and a half roughly. And uh, he came into my life at the right time because I tell this story because in the spring, March of 2021, uh, my girlfriend at the time, when we met, I knew she had said there were some things that she still needed. Her life journey wasn't over yet. We weren't going to be together forever. And I'm like, that's fine. Let's just enjoy each other's company. And when you need to go, you go. And so she went, I'm never going to stand in the way of somebody else's journey. And so she took off in March of 21, 21, got an RV, took off to the West coast. It was hard for me. I mean, I was happy for her because this was her next step, but it was hard for me to let, to, you know, to say, hey, I mean, I can't get in the way here. I've got to let her go. And so she went. Then April of 2021, my stepmom, who was in great shape and in my life for 40 years, gets diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, passes away three weeks later. So fast. I mean, it's just so fast. And in July of 2021, my mom died of Alzheimer's. So in a hundred day period, it was my life was a country song, but I had Bodhi by my side. He got me through all of it. Along with yes. my sister, of course, my sister and I are very, very close, thankfully. Um, but my, but Bodie was by my side the whole time. And so I say that, you know, rescued is the best breed. Um, you know, it's very easy to go out there and, you know, go to the store, What? but rescue is the best breed. There are so many that need homes. They're overflowing the shelves right now. They all need so much help. And uh, I ask people, look, if you're thinking about a dog, Trust me when I tell you, you cannot go wrong. There are so many that need homes in the shelters. They know that they've been saved. You're yes. giving them the best life uh, and rescued is the best breed. And so I donate a portion of the proceeds from my book sales and speaking gigs to Wonder Paul's The Rescue That Saved Bodie here in Fort Lauderdale. Oh, I love it. Oh, I know. Like For those of you who are just listening, I'm not tearing up. I promise you, I'm not <laughs> crying now. <laughs> it's, it's. I, it took me a long time to get through that story without losing it. And I still do sometimes, um, you know, it just depends on the day. Yeah. And it's, so my daughter ended up becoming a vet tech. She was going to school for astrophysics of all things. And then she moved to California, couldn't really get any classes at the local college as a transfer student. She missed the window. And then she saw that there was an opportunity to become a vet tech at a trade school. And that's the yeah. route that she took. And now she's, she's having the time of her life. You know, it's awesome. like, you know, as a parent, we kind of know, I don't know about astrophysics for you, girl, but if that's your passion, <laughs> you said the journey, if that's the journey you want to take, it. go for it. And I'll be, I'll be here in case you need me. And now that she's done the vet tech thing, she has 
it's changed her life because she pursued her passion. And I'm yeah. so proud of that. You know, I'm so proud of that. She, she did that. And that's what I want for everyone, whether you are an entrepreneur or whether you are working in corporate, the thing that you love to do is what is that, that line? Love what you do and you'll never work a day in your life. Which I mean, it's not true. We do, we are working, <laughs> but we're so passionate about doing it. It doesn't feel like work. It doesn't feel yeah. like a four-letter word. Like so yes. many people say work is a four-letter word. Yes. It doesn't feel good. Uh, you know, you um that you still have a lot of time to make yourself be what you want. I tell people if you have a hobby or passion or interest, it's taking up that really valuable free time that you have, you know, find a way to potentially monetize it. You know, I, I say go create you, whatever that is. And um, you know, there's a Oliver Wendell Holmes, I'm gonna paraphrase here, but also around the same time, I think is. Henry David Thoreau. So not 80s pop culture, but I'm going to paraphrase here when he said something to the effect of, you know, the saddest thing is to see somebody who dies with their song still inside of them. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's, what is that song that you have, like in you? We all have something. And yeah. a lot of people just don't like, you know, I can't for these reasons or whatever, but there are, there is going to be a moment where you can. And so you have to decide, am I ready to do this? And it's going to be a different time for everybody but don't let it go by. Yes. Carpe diem. Yes. <laughs> Seize the day. Uh, so speaking of seizing, I want you guys to take advantage of what Chris has because he's an, not only is he a speaker, he's an author. So Chris, tell us about your latest book and how people can yeah. get their hands on it. Oh, I appreciate that. So I have the, the, you know, the three books in the series, the ultimate series on essential life and work lessons from 80s pop culture. The most recent one being raised on the 80s and it's 30 plus unexpected life lessons from 80s pop culture. Um, the first two books, what 80s pop culture teaches us about today's workplace are focused on workplace lessons, obviously. And the third one is more life lessons. Uh, you can pick them up on Amazon. They may be in your local bookstore as well. Um, I never really know where they are, but I do know that they're on Amazon as well. Um, so you can pick those up. They're a lot of fun. Even if you weren't around in the 80s, it'll take you back to, I think, a really cool time. I say that 80s pop culture, it was uh, somebody took a glitter bomb and threw it against the wall and it exploded and all these wonderful colors came out. And that was all the creativity and innovation and yeah. individuality that was around in the 80s and that you know so many people go back to today. Show Stranger Things are a great example of yeah. really showing people what it was like with 80s pop culture. Uh, so those are the books. And then of course, my website is chrisclues.com, C-L-E-W-S. Dot com. If you're looking for a fun, unique, and dynamic keynote speaker, uh, I'm your guy. And uh, we'll have a lot of fun talking about these lessons from 80s pop culture. I have about 160 lessons from 35 movies. So it can be customized Ooh. and themed to whatever you're looking for in terms of uh, the theme for your particular organization or event. And uh, you can find me on social media all over the place. Awesome. And if you want to know anything more about Chris, everything that he's just spoke about is going to be in the show notes. Go yeah. look below and click on the link and write, go buy a book, support a dog. Like think of the dogs that you're going to save by buying his book. Like yeah. if that doesn't touch you, then I don't know. Maybe I'm not the show for you, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, thank you so much for being here today. And um, is there any last um Last words you want to share with the audience today. Yeah. Ferris Bueller said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop to look around once in a while, you could miss it. And uh, I think that, you know, those are very true words. Take some time, stop, look around. Don't miss it. Yeah. Don't it's pretty miss awesome. it. That's why I quit my job and I went into entrepreneurship because I realized yeah. my kids 
were growing up without me and I totally missed it. And now I'm a grandparent and my kids are adults, but I'm getting still to enjoy them. I'm making up for a lost time. Yeah. And, you know, we're still here, you know, clock still ticking. Like, yeah, like the past is the past, but like you said, carpe diem, seize the day. What can I do today to make the most of the situation that I'm in? Like, let's not sweat the past. Let's not, you know, agonize about the future, but live right in the power of now. That's it. Yes. Yeah, and oh. stay rad, everybody. Yeah, stay rad. And <laughs> I, I, would, I, I wish I had, you know, more 80s gear, but I didn't have it. Sorry, and I got enough for both of us with the blockbuster in the background. <laughs> Anyway, thanks, Chris, for being on today. I'll see you guys again next time. And bye. Thanks, guys.